What's your favorite scary movie? For us, it's the Scream franchise, as we're going to be jumping into Screams 3 and 4 in episode 87 of the podcast. Cue the music. Welcome, everyone, to the Entertainment Buffet Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon Presick. And I'm your other host, Jessica Quaz. And we just uh, had an episode about the first and second Scream, the most considered the, the top two of the series. And now we're going to jump into the third and fourth installment. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> let's move on. You know, we left off uh, Sydney, Dewey, Gale, uh, and Cotton survived the the college attacks from Billy Loomis's mom and Timothy Oliphant's character and now we don't know how long it's been I, th- I think a year or two they may have mentioned yeah they're really loose on that timeline for three so I don't really know <laughs> yeah. like we don't know if like because Sydney's not in college we don't know if she dropped out we don't know if she graduated, so it's yeah, like it's a loose. It could be a year. It could be four. <laughs> like, I yeah, don't know. like we said, we didn't know what year she was in, and so yeah, it's it's a little messy. But what we do know, which is very understandably so, after surviving the first two movies, is she lives out in the middle of nowhere. She's got an at-home phone job. Um, <laughs> And she's got a dog, and uh, she's got a security system. <laughs> she is just, you know, like, look, uh, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on me. But there will not be a fool me three times, you know? <laughs> That's for yeah, damn sure. She, she is out there. She is smarter and stronger and tougher even more than the second one. She's just fully like, nah, I'm going to take a break from everything. Um, and yeah, she works as a crisis counselor on the phone for women, which I think is perfect for her. She helps other women go through trauma and go through pain. And I just think that that's like a really nice thing for her to be doing in the third. Yeah. So um, one thing to note uh, is Wes Craven came back for this. However, Which Kevin- is shocking. <laughs> like- <laughs> It just blows my mind he did direct this one. <laughs> However, uh, the writer, Kevin Williamson, uh, did not. I believe he's was working on too many different TV shows and movies. Like I didn't know he had such a huge writing career until I looked at a lot of the stuff he did. But they had someone by the name of, it looks, I'm just going to probably butcher it, but Aaron Kruger, which they've also written things like uh, Transformers, like, I think three and four or three, four and five, you know, it's like soon. Oh, and they directed or no, they wrote ghost in the shell, you know? So it's like, they don't have great credits that I see so far. Um, but anyway, uh, they took over the writing. Apparently, uh, much like the second one, there was a lot of like intrigue over like who the killers would be. The second one dealt with like script writing leaks. So the third one, I think they were kind of like not quite rushed, but just like I think they didn't have like a clear vision and they knew they just needed to do it because like these have been making money. Um, and right. you can tell. You can tell. Yes. Um, 
But before we jump in too far, I guess we should continue the uh, the trend of talking about the opening scene, which this time it's Cotton who gets a phone call, and uh, his girlfriend and him are the couple that are killed. Which this is the first time that it's not uh, just someone that it's a pre-existing character gets killed. So, what were your thoughts? on the opening with Cotton, who's on a show now, a TV show, talk show, called 100% Cotton. <laughs> I, I love the sh- that show title. That show title Me is too. Really funny. It's like the best it's part ridiculous. of the movie. It's so good. Um, and yeah, he also just filmed his cameo for Stab 3. Uh, so that franchise is alive and well in this franchise as well. Yes. Um, so here's the thing. I don't necessarily like Cotton, um, and it does, to me, make sense that he would be killed off in the third because his storyline, like, was sort of wrapped up in the second a little bit. At least we got, like, a nice resolution and some sort of redemption for him. Um, so it does, it does make sense that we didn't need him for much longer because I don't know how much he could have added to things. But for me, I think the stakes would have been raised even higher is if they had waited for him to die just a little bit. Like, him dying off almost feels like well, that's way too soon because, I don't know, like, it's interesting because we talked about how in the first and second one, those immediate deaths really raised the stakes really high. And for this one, for Cotton to die, I felt like it, there were no stakes. It was like, oh, okay, well, Leif Schreiber came back for a scene. Like, okay, cool. Um, it just, yeah. I think it would have been more interesting if, like, the death was, you know, some actress that's in the stab three and everyone's like, this isn't related. She sucked. Someone just wanted to murder her. But then maybe only the second death is Cotton, and then that's when we start to be like, oh, yeah, it could be related. Um, Yeah. It it was just weird, and also, I know this is very of the times, um, but the killer calls him in a car phone, and I understand, like, that was was big technology then. And, like, sure, utilize a car phone. I'm not here to judge. But I think having, like, this weird sort of car chase scene, I mean, I, I say chase loosely because he's trying to rush home to save his girlfriend and he's driving super fast and recklessly just feels so out of place for scream i don't think we needed like this weird car intense scene like well the budget has grown and so i think (laughs) they thought like oh well like you know this this franchise started with a 15 million dollar budget went to 25 now it's at 40 so it's like they're clearly you know if we put more money into it um and that's where they'll you know I'll mention a, a, a bit they do later. But yeah, I think they're trying to use the budget, make it more intense, but more action-y. But this is where they introduce something that I really think is one of the biggest flaws of the movie, which is not only is the killer using the voice changer of like the original narrator, but apparently this voice changer has the ability to sound like other people. So at one point the killer's doing the voice of cotton through the door so the girlfriend thinks it's cotton trying to kill her um yeah it's super weird because what the a voice magical box, device <laughs> it, right first of all we don't even have that technology now 20 years later to be able to perfectly mimic a living and dead person's voice that person also uses sydney's mom's voice in the box which is just like how did you even get that, sir? Like, what? <laughs> um, so I hate it because, like you said, like, now, I think they did it as a device to be like, wow, it really could be anyone. And, like, when they're around, you don't know who you're talking to. Ooh, spooky. 
But for me, it did the exact opposite, where it felt less important, and it felt like, oh, well, now we're just doing anyone over here. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, I just, I didn't find it to raise any stakes. I found it to actually be very gimmicky. Um, and I think it was just trying to play into, like, who can you trust? But it's like, well... I know these characters now, though. Like, I know that, yeah. like, what's up. So it doesn't well, really work. The only thing that I think, I don't want to say I liked, but it was an interesting thought about having Cotton die in the opening, is then as, you know, other deaths kind of happen and, and Sydney's kind of going crazy in this one, is... I think there's some suspicions here and there, some like looks and glances where people think that Sydney's doing this. Yeah. Which would be an interesting twist. Uh, but obviously we know it's totally not her um, from the audience's point of view. So I don't know. I mean, I think the cotton thing was fine for me. I think it was like a, you know, they did change up the formula of like, we're going to still open with like a couple dying, but it's actually someone you know. Who knows? Maybe Leif Shriver was like, look, I want out of this franchise. Just kill me. You know, yeah, I'll, I'll come busy. back for us. You know, I'm busy. I'm getting bigger roles now. And, like, I just don't want to have this on the hook to where I have to keep coming back. Um, could be totally wrong. But uh, so, yeah, that's the opening. Um, Sydney's out in the middle of nowhere working under a different name. She's kind of in hiding. Even some people ask Dewey at one point, like, where is she? And he's like, well, I don't know. You know, like, <laughs> it seems like it's kind of a big secret where she's hiding, which I'm like, okay, smart, good. You're not just, like, staying in the middle of Woodsboro or wherever where people can find you. Um, uh, they pick up where Gale and Dewey are mad at each other again. Yes. Which... <laughs> This is where I really started to get frustrated because I like both these characters. I like both the actors. But the fact that they start them off in conflict again because Gail's arc in the second movie was she's selfish. She just really wants the story. She even, like, is an asshole to the camera dude who's like, wait, your other cameraman died? Like, maybe we shouldn't do this. She's like, fuck you, get the story, point and shoot. Um, Then at the end of the movie... Uh, he's like, come on, let's shoot. And she's like, Dewey. And she like goes to the hospital with Dewey. She chooses him. Now they disregarded that completely. And like they tried to say an offhanded line like, oh, she just, you know, she couldn't stand the small, small town life. And so she had to go off and whatever. And I was like, okay, I guess. But like, can we not have a movie where they're in conflict? Like, can they just be together and work together because like they've survived this twice now. Like you think they would learn. <laughs> right. But, but no, the writer was just like, all right, well let's just follow what we did before. Have them in conflict again. And I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> which hair check on for Courtney Cox. She now has yes. bangs. Yes. For anyone playing the Gale hair style bingo card, we have the short, uh, very, very choppy little bangs look. Which I do have to say real quick that when I was younger, I remember seeing those bangs. I didn't see Scream, but I remember seeing photos of her on Scream with those bangs. And I thought they were really cute. <laughs> so I 
cut my sister's bangs to look like that one time. <laughs> Not yours, but your sister's. My sister's. Because, um, <laughs> you know, I think, uh, like, sisters just do this thing where at some point someone cuts someone's hair. It's just how it happens. And I cut <laughs> my sister's hair, and I gave her the Gail Weather bangs, and my mom was really mad. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine so. So, um... Yeah, so as we were mentioning, the Stab franchise is on the third, just like Scream 3. You know, they skipped over Stab 2, apparently. And maybe that's to try to show time passing. Um, yeah, I I kind of was confused because it looked like a lot of the scenes that were happening in Stab 3 were, like, in Woodsboro. And I'm like... So are they just totally making up what's happening? Because, like, the first stab was based on the first movie. But, like, what is stab three based on? Because, like, the sets look like Sydney's house. And, like, it looks like Woodsboro. And I'm like, uh, what are you going for here? Like, is it just, like, you wanted to shoot a movie that looks like the first movie, but it's the third movie? Like, it just, one of those things that I'm like, I don't think they put much thought into it. Yeah, and I think also, too, like, there's weird moments, like you just said, where it's like, we don't really know what they're going for, because we have, like, Randy's character is in Woodsboro in Stab 3. We have someone playing, like, supposed to be Randy, but he's, like, so are we doing the first one? Yeah, like, what's, what are we doing here? And then... Uh, also, we have a very, very, very young baby Emily Mortimer playing, quote unquote, the new Sydney. So that's really weird, too, because it's like this um, young actress comes and in. And Jenny or, McCarthy. Like this, oh, Miss Anti-Vaxxer herself is here, baby. Um, <laughs> but they have they have this weird plot where like Adam, Emily Mortimer, who we know for beloved roles such as Newsroom, um, and in this, she adds nothing. Poor girl. She tries her best, but ad- brings nothing to the table. Um, it's not her fault. It's just how it was written. But, like, so there's this weird storyline that she's playing the quote-unquote new Sydney. They have, like, this weird contest to see who's going to play the new Sydney. And it's like, well, what? Like, <laughs> what happened to the old Sydney? What happened to Tori Spelling playing Sydney? Was she yeah. killed off? Or do we just, like, she... There's not even a line that addresses that where it's like Tori Spelling was like too busy to do this or something. It was just like, yeah, you're the new Sydney now. Like, what? So, yeah, I don't know like what Stab 3 is about. They don't really get into that too much, like in terms of like what the plot is, like what we're following. If we are just like totally making it up now where we're back in Woodsboro, the the fran- Stab franchise never left Woodsboro and some of these characters didn't die. So we're diverting from what it's based on so but it's like that was never explained and i think the idea of the movie set actually could have worked because it is scream and scream is known for its commentary about movies like i think that it could have worked but we didn't care about these characters at all like they wanted oh yeah to any care of the actors none of them i don't none care of them. about any even of them. Even though uh, I almost I keep wanting to think it's Elizabeth uh, Berkeley or is that no Elizabeth Banks, but it's, it's Parker Posey. Um, <laughs> yeah. Who is the best? I think. OK, so I think Car- I, I do think 
Parker Posey playing fictional Gale is the best new character in this movie. But other than that, and it's just because Parker Posey is so funny and like so silly and ridiculous that it, it just is fun to watch her do that. But other than that, it's like we don't sit with these characters long enough to care. So it's not that they're like new characters because Scream 2 brought in new characters. Scream 4 does too. It's just that these ones, we don't get to know as people. We get to know them as, like, shells of people playing the people we know. So it's like when they start dying, it's like, I don't really care because I don't know you. Like, I am not invested in you. They're literally brought in to get killed. And Mm -hmm. I think that's where it's just like you said, just don't care them at all all, because, like, there's no stakes. Like, yes, they're deaths. But, like, at least Cotton was someone who, like you said, redeemed himself at the second one by helping Sydney. These are just people that, like, it doesn't... I, sounds bad, but, like, as characters, they don't really matter. So... Yeah, and I think was... there's also... There could have been something where... Because Sydney's not with these people much at all. Uh, and I think what worked for Scream 1 and 2 was those were people in her inner circle. Those were people she cared about. and they People she was dating about. or best friends, you mm-hmm. know, things like that. Like you said, they're connected. Whereas, like, this is just actors playing those people from the first movie. <laughs> I think there could have been, like, an alternate idea where Sydney... Uh, is very, living a very, very, very low-key life, but she's also a consulting producer or something on step three. So she's getting to know these people that are playing her friends, and she cares about these people now, and they're good people. Or something where, like, she's kind of woven in, because what works is there. She's it's an ensemble always, but she's our leading on, lead of the ensemble. And for this, she doesn't join the rest of the characters until halfway through the movie. So it's like this weird ensemble without our, our leader. And so it's like, oh, okay, well, yeah, Gail and Dewey are here, but, like, they're not Sydney. Like, <laughs> it, felt, it felt disjointed. It felt like, yes. yeah, she would be doing this one thing, they'd be doing this thing, then, like, Gail and Dewey would split up, and then, like, it just... It felt very disjointed in this movie. A um, couple little details I will bring up that I, I liked. One was the little detail we mentioned before. She's Sydney's wearing the necklace from J. O'Connell in the previous film. It's like a oh, nice, Derek. nice touch. Um, I like that the Stab Three cast mentions Randy's death. Like that crowds hated it. Um, <laughs> pretty meta, uh, but. The only thing that I could find was commentary besides, like, I don't know. Uh, like, I think they wanted to go for, like, old wounds thing with, like, her mom. But, like, it didn't work. And they try to do these weird, like, dream sequences that I don't even want to get fully into because they're just dumb and trash. Yeah. And it's like, none of the other movies did this. This is a weird thing you're trying to intertwine into this universe that doesn't, it just doesn't match up. Um, but the big thing was kind of like a pre-Me Too movement stuff. Yeah! (laughs) Yeah! Which, like, Emily Mortimer's character is like, I didn't fuck the director for this shit. You know, it was just like... Yeah. So that's very interesting. I mean, it is pretty early for the times, I guess, but it's also, like, weirdly just shoved in there too so it's like yikes i don't i don't know i don't know um yeah like it is very disjointed because we have so many things happening mostly to a lot of people we don't care about so it's like Mm -hmm. all right whatever and then we have our our girl sydney over there and she's just like going through this whole thing with a ghost mom that like yeah like you said it sucks it's weird um 
and they're not connected in any way. So, okay. And then halfway through the movie, Sydney comes back because the police want to talk to her. Oh, yeah. And the cops played by Patrick Dempsey. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Easier too now. Which um, then he's like creepy sometimes. Yeah. But then he's like good. I don't know if they were. Were they trying to go for the fake out of like the potential love interest being the killer again? But I thought they were maybe like. In an original shooting script, Patrick Dempsey was it. So, and then maybe like at some point they're like, oh, nope, rewrites. And he wasn't. Because <laughs> it also felt like there are times where he's like really playing it as like a fucking creep. So it's like, were you originally supposed to be the killer and they just shot like your early scenes like you are and now you're not? Like, I don't know what that was about. I, I don't know. I didn't really care for it too much. Um, yeah. It's, and, like, there's something to be said, too, about, like, this group of people we have. So, for really, the first time in the franchise, we have group killings, which is, like, okay. So, it's, like... Don't a, forget we have our first explosion. We have our first explosion, because it's 2000. So, of course, we, we got to have an explosion. A, we need to use that budget. We got 40 mil, baby. 40 mil. There is a few scenes... Where it's multiple characters, uh, Dewey and Gail are, are usually with them, but other than that, we don't we don't know or care about these other characters. It's just like group scenes of people being hunted by Ghostface, and there's something just so less scary and less intense about an entire group of people being hunted by like one person or or one Ghostface or maybe two. Who knows? It and it also is just like. I don't like I just don't care like okay four of you are running and one person dies all right well three of you got out so who cares like it's just yeah. the stakes feel so much less in the third one like they're so much lower things don't really matter plus they also mess with Ghostface's mo which is like why would you do that like in the third one like like you said an they, explosion he blows up a house like that's not what he's known to do, like, or what the characters embodying Ghostface are known to do. Mm-hmm. Like, this is really weird. Um, and so for those reasons, too, it also felt disjointed in that it wasn't, like, the norm for Scream. It was just like, all right, well, you're just doing stuff now. Like, I don't Which, know. This did take place after, like, the Columbine incident. Mm-hmm. And so Wes Craven was really pressured by, like, ratings in the studios to make it less violent, like, even more so than the first two. So that's why I think there's a lot of scenes where they're, like, not as bloody or, like, they're, you know, explosion or whatever because, like, he could still be violent, but they wanted it to, like, apparently they wanted to play up the humor more, which, like, I don't know if the humor was played up that much more. Um, So it's... I don't know. I think that's why this is often the most hated one. This is the Mission Impossible 2 of this franchise. There is an explosion. (laughs) Yes. And there's chases. 2000. 2000, man. Both these movies. All it needed was a boat and we were totally in. Like, (laughs) ridiculous. It is ridiculous. There is something about that era of movies that is just so weird and dark. And like, what were you doing? But like. Yeah. I I just hate it. But one thing I really want to uh, touch on real quick uh, is one thing that I really, 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 really loathe about this movie is that at some point, Randy's sister, who we've never heard about, nor met, nor nothing, nothing, with no idea he had a sister, no idea he even had a family. curious your thoughts on this part. Oh, I hate it. We, she just comes to the movie set, just shows up, is like, hey girl, I'm here. 
okay. Um, it's super strange because supposedly he just so happened to know that he would be murdered in round two. And the joke is like, oh, it's because he lost his virginity that he's going to die, which like, haha, okay, we did that joke in the first one. Move on. Um, yeah. But he comes back through a tape that his sister brings to Sydney. And it's another one of like the classic, like, Randy rants about uh, horror and film rules, and now there's and a trilogy. Tr- now there's a trilogy rule. Um, it doesn't feel as fun. It's definitely like his his monologues just work so much better because they felt organic. Where this does not, it's just like shoehorned in. Uh, it's just like shoved on us. And his weird appearance doesn't like add anything either to the movie. Like it could have been completely taken out and it wouldn't have done anything. But yeah, what, it doesn't uh, help them solve it. Like it it kind of like they try to like you said throw out all these rules and these things and here's this, here's that and that's it. Like it yeah. it, it just I thought that the idea could have worked if the writing was better. Like it's like this is he would be the guy to film like a, a will and testament, basically, um, thinking that it's like, well, this is going to happen a third time or whatever. Um, but it just it was not handled well. Well, in the original script, uh, I would have much preferred this. Um, in the original script, it's revealed that he actually survived and his parents were secretly hiding him because he was kind of being hunted. Um, But it was cut for the final film because it was considered to be too unrealistic, which is like, we have a house exploding in here. Who cares? Like, I don't care if it's ridiculous. All of Scream 3 is ridiculous. Bring him back. And he died off camera. We could, okay, we can play with that. Like, I want him back. (laughs) Speaking of unrealistic, Let's just get right into it. Let's get into who Ghostface is in this one. Oh, boy. (laughs) Because this is where they... Okay. Sometimes with sequels, people try to say, like, oh, the sequel ruined the original. You know, it's like this was something that actually tried to relate to the first one that, like, I don't think it ruined it because it's like you could just choose in your headcanon to not really follow this one. Yeah. Um, You can just say it went scream one, two, four. You know, um... The killer is the director of the Stab 3 movie, which is this guy named Roman, who, like, they do a fake, like, they think he's dead. And then does this whole monologue about how he, about how Sydney's mom, you know, was in Hollywood for a couple of years. She was a bit of a slut, slept around, you know, and clearly had him. So it's Sydney's half-brother. And then left him, gave him up or something. And so then he then tracks her down and tries, uh, because she was using a different name, and tries to, you know, be part of her life. And she ushered him away. So then he was apparently the one that, like, went to Billy Loomis and Stu and, like, oh, she's a slut. Like, look, she slept with your dad. And, like, that's what broke up your family. Like, you should kill her. And, And then, like, in one line, this is great writing, um, quote unquote, where he's like, I'm a director. I direct. He's like, <laughs> right, right. That's why he directed all these uh, murders. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so it's like, not only do you make him the villain of this movie, which apparently he did it by himself, they at least 
they at least moved away from the whole it's two people thing because like that could get repetitive um but the fact that it's him and the fact that he also had to deal with something in the first movie that like also not only the first movie but would be like the prequel to the first movie which is what kills Sydney's mom which is like kickstarts the first one so it's like wait what what are you saying why are mm-hmm. you trying to connect him like this like i think at this time they thought they were going to try to close off the franchise in a way yeah, you know absolutely. they wanted to wrap things up but like you didn't need to relate it back to that it was already related cuz we've had sydney this whole time yeah i think they were just trying to capitalize off of like oh it's billy's mom like in scream 2 it's like oh twist it comes back but this does it in such a way that they have to create an entirely new storyline that we've never heard anything about and it gets even weirder too so this is where like some me too stuff plays in because it's heavily 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 implied that roman is the product of sydney's mother being raped by milton who's the executive of the stab movies um Yeah, so, like, the Milton stuff is weird because he's, like, the head of these movies. He's just, like, this old rich filmmaker. I think he's supposed to be a Weinstein. Yes. Because I think he's involved in some of these movies, right? Yeah, he is. Yes, yes, he is. So, like, don't tell me y'all didn't know about Weinstein. Y'all knew. Anyway, um, so it's, like, weird because he... Milton could have been an interesting villain, but they didn't know what to do with him. So they don't mm-hmm. have him in it much. And when at one point, uh, Gail finds out that Sydney's mom was in his old horror movies, she confronts him about that. And he says how she would go to these parties and stuff would happen. But she she really did want it. it it's like they never say it, but they heavily imply it. They just don't fully go there. So it is implied that Roman was the product of Sydney's mom being assaulted and she couldn't deal with that. So she put him up for adoption and was just like, I can't deal with this. So then when he comes back into her life and is like, hi, mommy, she's like, oh, man, nah, I can't. I'm sorry. Bye. And then he gets all upset because he's been abandoned. But like none of this matters because, first of all, again, this is a whole storyline they just made up and they fed it to us in like five minutes right after the quote-unquote twist is revealed. But it, yeah. we don't care about Roman because, first of all, we've hardly seen much of this character at all. And mm-hmm. when we have, he just talks about the movie and what the movie's delay means for him and how what his career's about. So we And then don't... he quote-unquote died. <laughs> right, and then he quote-unquote died, which, again, also didn't matter because we didn't know anything about him. We didn't care. Seeing him and only having him talk about his career, we don't get a feel for who this guy even is as a person mm-hmm. outside of his career. So none of it matters. Like it just none of it matters. I wasn't invested in Roman. It's not like I was like, oh, well, he's a cool dude, and then I was like, oh shit, he's the killer. And it just didn't matter. And I'm sorry to Scott Foley. Sorry to this man who played Roman, but like his acting after the twist is just not up there with yeah with the other like billy and Stu and timothy olfin's character and laurie metcalf like it's just not up there where it's like i don't even care about this twist this acting is incredible i am so here for it it's like okay yeah you play in a little crazy guy all right like for it, sure it's just it would like i think it the motivation for him is isn't 
bad in terms of like an interesting motivation, but it's just so shoved in on us that it doesn't feel impactful because we don't know any of this stuff. To me, yeah, to me, I will say it's bad because we've only known Sydney's mom through talking, you know, just exposition. We never met her. We didn't experience her at all. So now that you're just finding all these secrets that like she was a bit of a slut and she was in a couple bad horror movies uh, and then she gave up this kid. It's like, I don't get it. Like, why are you trying to make this mom seem so terrible when like we didn't really know what she was like to begin with? We just know she was killed in the beginning and then all of a sudden it's it's all about slut shaming and I just to me what would have made more sense and like I don't know if this will go maybe in Scream 5 or something but all these people that have been killed through the first two movies wouldn't it make more sense if like I don't know I know they did like the parent for two but like maybe like just community people from Woodsboro, whether it's like parents or family members of like people who got killed or like were affected by it, you know, because like Woodsboro of the town had to have been heavily impacted by like the media and whatnot with Sydney's stuff that it's like, it would have made more sense for kind of like this community of people be like the ghost face. And like, they want revenge on Sydney. Cause it's like, Hey, you fucked up our life. Like we've had to live with this. Um, and we'll talk about this more for like four, but like, I think that would have made more sense opposed to making some random love child that was given up that was related to the first one. Yeah. Too much, too much. You, 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 it's like the first two movies were smart. This one, they're trying to be smart. Yeah. And it's not this good blend of like horror cheese and camp with like actual horrifying things. It's just like, like you said, like they were trying to make it lighter and, funner but that's not what scream is about so get out of here with that but i also just think it is like just really weird too to think about like okay so homeboy is the the director of this movie how'd you get this job like you Mm -hmm. did you just hate your mom so much that you uh had to got a directing career or did yeah or did he find out later and he was already like in hollywood right so like we're supposed to believe that not only did you like murder all trigger all these murders but then you went on to direct a movie about it but like how did you get that job like yeah how did you get qualified for that job like what like it's just it's just really weird and again it's just like all those weird like ghosty things that pop up with her mom the purpose of it was to only like add to this twist because now we see more of her but it's like i don't i don't care i'm like i just don't i don't care about these people none of these characters with the exception of sydney and dewey and gail who we already know are even likable so like i don't care that you die like Mm -hmm. i said parker posey to me is like my new favorite addition but it's only because she's so funny playing it she still is very unlikable like i don't care when her character dies because it's just like okay well you kind of sucked anyway um, yeah, but, random random cameos from Carrie Fisher and well, Jane Silent Bob. <laughs> I was going to say my favorite part of this entire movie is Carrie Fisher's cameo. I think it might be the best part of the whole movie because she's just really funny and yeah. playing this like sassy woman who works in the filing basement of this production company. She just doesn't care and... It's just, it's always really nice to see Carrie Fisher, I think. And it's just, you can tell, too, she had fun with this cameo. 
And it was just like a silly little like, I don't like a smoking, like, I don't care about anything kind of like Hollywood uh, stereotype that I found to be really fun played by her. Um, and yeah, Jay and Silent Bob pop up, which is like, oh, yeah, hey, um, <laughs> all right, you're here, too. Uh, it's just it's so strange. All of it is so strange to me. It truly it is. is. The, it's just there's a reason why this is at the bottom of everyone's list when yeah. it comes to the Scream franchise. And there's without a doubt when we do our ranking soon, it's going to be at the bottom. We yeah. both know that for sure. It's more of a matter of one, two and four where you rank those. So uh, speaking of four, let's move on. A lot of people thought Scream 3 was the concluding film. You know, everyone said, like, oh, it's the conclusion of a trilogy. That was in 2000. Decided to revive the series in Scream 4 in 2011. Um, here we pick up Sydney has written a book, um, like, Out of Darkness. You know, her <laughs> getting through these, these killings three different times. Uh, Gail and Dewey are married, but conflict again because why can they ever, why can they never be happy? Um, she Gail is struggling with small town life because Dewey's the sheriff of Woodsboro now, and um, she like is struggling to write, and I think she's kind of envious of Sydney having written a book, which is fine, but we get an entire new set of characters, which features uh, Sydney's cousin, mm-hmm. right? Sydney's cousin. And then her cousin has like three friends. Uh, well, like three to five, like high schoolers. So it's like, we're kind of back to Woodsboro, back to some high schoolers. Uh, there's a, there's some film geeks that are kind of like Randy, uh, like the best friends of Sydney's cousin who I'm blanking on her name. Oh, a Jill. Jill. Oh, yeah, which is Emma Roberts. Oh, my God, I forgot. Yeah, it's uh, Emma Roberts. <laughs> yeah, um, Alison Bree's in this. Uh, we also have... <laughs> we have Anthony Anderson and... Um, Adam Brody. Adam, Adam Brody! Brody. <laughs> which... I, I was a really big fan of the OC, so I love Adam, Adam Brody so much. <laughs> I know you are. But yeah, so that's kind of where the, the the characters pick up. I think they said Sydney is now like 31 or 30, something like that. Um, it's like the 15th anniversary of the original Woodsboro Massacre, as they're calling it. Um, and yeah, they, uh, they kick off this movie where they show... <laughs> the Stab 7 movie. Like, people are watching Stab 7, but it's stab six watching stab seven yeah so there's like three scenes <laughs> and then we have characters watching stab seven as those characters watch stab six so yeah it's like three scenes of the classic scream beginning all in one and i love it i think it's really entertaining i think it's really funny it's really ridiculous um and just plays up that like horror campy cheese that we love about it and then goes into, all right, now these girls, we actually uh, are from Woodsboro. Because they mentioned something like, you know, it's based on Woodsboro, right? And she's like, yeah, I know, whatever. We live here. We have to hear about it every year. I hate stuff. Um, and it just goes right into the story. I think it's really funny because it's definitely playing on the fact, like, 
all right, we're a franchise now, and so is Stab. They haven't stopped, but now Stab has become almost like a Saw type where they just go Which out, like, gore porn. Which they make fun of Saw. They make fun of Saw <laughs> for being gore porn, and um, it's just, I think it's a really funny and entertaining way to start, and it's also really interesting because it keeps you on your toes, too, as, like, okay, wait, you just died? Okay, now you've died? Okay, now who's dying? Okay, these people these mm-hmm. are actual people dying. Like, I think it's really fun. <laughs> yeah, no, I I think it was a unique opening. Had tons of fake outs uh, because they realized that, you know, we've seen people die in the opening of Screams for the last three movies. We're coming back for the first time after 11 years. Like, let's do something different. So they're like, well, here's one opening. Cut to they're watching that opening cut to the you know it's like okay i see what you're doing and i'm curious where they're gonna go with this now in the fifth movie but um one of the big things that stuck out for me is wow 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 the camera differences yes (laughs) the quality in the camera from 2000 to 2011 is insane it really is it's just so much clearer in 2011 like you can see every pore every wrinkle on these people Whereas all if you the watch plastic, the first all this, one, all this, <laughs> all the Botox with Courtney Cox. I know, but oh, I still love her. I still, I still love Gail. Gail has the best. Uh, Gail just has the zingers. She has the best lines. My favorite line from this one is, and this is getting a little head, but I just want to say it because I think it's hilarious because it's just so Gail, um, and I love Gail so much. But they're talking to the these like nerd kids these film kids about there's they're gonna have a stabathon showing but they won't tell gail where it's at and with gail's iconic sash she just delivers the line so where is this circle jerk anyway and i'm like <laughs> i love you because you're like a 40 plus year old woman talking to 18 year olds just making fun of them and like you can also tell that courtney cox had a lot of fun coming back as gail like she was really yeah. enjoying herself and i think i really appreciate that um yeah, I just I love I love Gail. I love her so much. <laughs> yeah. So obviously Sydney is dealing with the fact that uh she's like feeling guilty that this is happening again because um her publicist Allison Bree gets killed and then um you know they're coming after uh both her cousin uh Jill and Jill's friends and like there's a brutal brutal death of Jill's friend woof that that one was like one of the i don't know that felt like it brought me back to like the first movie with like the gutting stuff are you talking about the closet moment no the the fact that uh the friend who was like next door yeah um, the closet where it's like i'm in the closet oh yeah, yeah, yeah 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 sorry um i was thinking that was later but no it was that but it was the fact that, like, when she, like, got, gets, like, stabbed and whatnot, like, it's very bloody. And, like, you see insides when, like, Sid finds her. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Like, they're certainly not getting in trouble for violence this time. Yeah. No, not this year. <laughs> like, uh, who cares anymore? Yeah, I think the deaths are elevated. But also do have callbacks to the originals, which is so interesting. Like, I love... Uh, the death of, yeah, her friend who's next door, and they're seeing each other in a window. Hayden Panettiere's character Kirby is on the phone with the new ghost face, and he's like, I'm in the closet. And she's like, no, you're not. And then, bam, the reveal is he's at the closet next door. Yeah, and I didn't he, say your closet. I didn't say your closet. Ah! 
Um, and that's so interesting to play with that too, because it still has the tropes of the first two, but then makes it even more brutal and more intense where these girls have to watch their friend get murdered brutally. Um, it's fascinating. And so I, and like, yeah, Alison Brie's death, I would say in this one is the one that's like least like anything of the original in that she like literally gets murdered and then falls onto a uh, news kit truck. So that's interesting Thro- during a press a parking conference. Garage. <laughs> yeah. But it still has the the iconic phone dialogue in that she's like, oh, I'm in the hospital. And he's like, are you sure you're not in a parking garage, bitch? Like, just gets her. <laughs> like, I love that. So I do love that it was this nice blend throughout of, like, the old school and the new school. And it's, it's like bringing all that back, but in a modern time and playing around mm-hmm. with it more and elevating it even more. Yeah. So this one, I had zero idea who the killer would be because this is the only movie from previous ones I hadn't seen until this rewatch. Okay. Um, and I was not spoiled throughout the movie. I'm just like, man, I have no idea because there's the one deputy of Dewey. That's like a little creepy um there's uh like thoughts that like um like who it could be um i thought they who i'm trying to remember there was someone else that they kind of was like making it seem like they were creepy there was um um, emma roberts boyfriend trevor who's like yeah he's like he's supposed to be an asshole he kind of cheated on her he's just like Mm -hmm. she doesn't trust him and so we're told like he can't be trusted so that's kind of set up Um, Yeah, there's a lot of, like, interesting red herrings, and it's because it's, like, also a new cast. We don't know. Like, we don't know who to trust because we're learning who you all are. Yeah, so I just wanted to bring that up before we move forward just because, like, since I hadn't seen the other ones, or I saw the other ones, I knew who the killer would be. I just didn't always remember the motivation. Whereas, like, this time around, I'm like, I straight up have no idea who it is. And, like, you're introducing not only new characters to die, but also new characters that are creepy. So, like, it was interesting to finally watch, like, a Scream movie that I hadn't seen where I'm like, well, I have zero idea who Ghostface is. I am very interested to talk about the ending with you then because we'll we'll, we'll get there. Um but yeah, just for uh, going back to um, the the Randy of it all, like you said, we have this <laughs> film club. We have these two nerdy boys that run the film club, and they sort of are the spirit of Randy, if you will, in that they mm-hmm. talk about movies and they talk about now this like also new media of like filming everything and one character streaming all the time. Um, they talk about what how people consume content now on top of Mm -hmm. horror movie rules and again blending the old with the new um what i find to be really interesting is that i mean at some point they straight up say like this killer is pretty basic and lame like if they were really going to do it big they would film all these murders um and so Mm -hmm. that's interesting too like i said bringing this sort of old and new but also having these these two characters plus their entire club embody what we love about Randy's character and that they're nerds who bring up commentary about movies um, and commentary about like violence in movies. Uh, so I I really like that that it's not him. It's like like again in the third where they just have a videotape of him shoot Hort in there. Okay, uh, these are new fresh characters, but it's still interesting because movie buffs never change and i think that's something that they encapsulated too was like 
there's always nerdy film fans, no matter mm-hmm. what generation you're in. And now we have these guys. Yeah, I, I, like you said, I think this is what this one was definitely doing some commentary on, and we'll cover it more at the end. I think I have more to say about the end than leading up to it. Um, but, like, yeah, I enjoyed that they – this isn't the 90s anymore. This isn't 2000. Like, there are cell phones, and there is social media, and there is, like, these characters have lived with the Woodsboro murders for 15 years. And also <laughs> – seven stab movies and so (laughs) um i think it's like totally different like they knew that like they couldn't just repeat itself but they like they updated it but also were still paying homage to the original so like i i feel like this wes craven and then oh yeah and kevin williamson came back yeah like same writer director team and i think you can tell you know you can tell um, because they brought it back to where like the originals were, um, where there is comedy, there is uh, meta stuff, self-referential things, uh, horror topics, and just like it felt like this should have been like the third movie. Yeah, <laughs> I know? mean, it was a nice like return to it all while also updating it. Like like how Scream Two. Uh, takes what we love about it and adds on it. This definitely does the same thing. Um, And yeah, it does so in a way where it's uh, respect for the old and also excited by the new. Um, Actually, like one of, again, it's Gail. Gail just kills it with the lines. Uh, (laughs) Another one of my favorite lines is that uh, Gail's talking to Dewey about how the this new ghost face is operating and she goes no he's gonna do this blah 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 it's totally meta and dewey goes what's meta and she goes i don't know i heard one of the kids talking about it like it's just (laughs) i love that so much (laughs) because like yeah gail doesn't know shit about movies um and and they're both older (laughs) they don't get what the kids are up to now right i just i love that so much and it's done so in a way that's just like so very them um, yeah, yeah, which if Dewey was 25 in the first one, and this is 15 years later, so he would be 40. Yeah, you know, which is crazy. Um, just to show the four four movies, 40 years, uh, or not 40 years, uh, 15 years. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed that humor of like she's investigating and trying to understand the horror things and figure it out like the original. But also just like, well, I don't know what meta is. And like, (laughs) like dealing with the fact that like Dewey's an actual cop, you know, and the sheriff, that's where their conflict is. And like, I don't know. Um, I think that for a franchise that took an 11 year break, this was one of the better movies to just like pick up where it left off and like improve upon the third one. Like there's no doubt that this is better than the third one. Oh, absolutely. And like, yeah, Sydney, because she's older, because she can't be like the final girl, like she once was, she's still interesting though, because she's not like the main character of this movie, I would say, but she still is sort of the lead of this ensemble, which is also kind of interesting because it's like, she's, again related in some way to what's happening and now it's her cousin so it's like still her family and Mm -hmm. not her friends but her family's friends 
Um, so that works more than like in three where it's just like random people that she doesn't really care about. So we don't care about like we care about these people because at the very least they're from Woodsboro and they know our the characters we know. So it's like it makes sense. Um, I really do like all the new characters, like as opposed to the third one where I only liked one. Like I like all of them. I think they're all mm-hmm. funny. They bring something new. They have their they're very much fleshed out as their own characters. Um, which makes me care about them. Um, yeah. I, I think in particular, Hayden Penitary, the Kirby, really stuck out to me. I was hoping that she could have been, like, the lead of a new franchise, you know? Yeah, she's um, my favorite. Like, she really is. It's Hayden Panettiere's best role, like, no doubt. Like, it's, yeah. it's she's just, she's so good in it. But, like you insinuated, she dies. Kirby's death, while it reminded me of Tatum's in that, like, it really bummed me out because I really liked this character, but it also was like, wow, yeah, no, anyone can just get fucking murdered. Um, it was also a callback to Drew Barrymore. I was just going to say that, yeah. Um, I love that it's, like, a heavy callback to the first one as well, where she's inside, she sees the guy that she likes tied up, uh, and she has to answer horror trivia to save his life. Um, And that was a very fun way to bring in, like, the new kids watching horror. Um, And it it was just, like, a cool callback to the the very first moment of the very first movie. But this one, they elevated it more. So Kirby, quote-unquote, wins the movie trivia and can go save him. And as she's untying him, she gets a knife to her gut from from Charlie, who's played by a Culkin. Um, which Culkin, I don't remember, but a Culkin that's not on Succession nor in Home Alone. Um, so it's a, we get a reveal right after probably our Rory favorite. Rory Culkin. Rory Culkin, okay. He's the younger younger brother of Macaulay and Kieran. Okay, now I know. <laughs> there's a lot of Culkins. There's like five there's of them. Of, there's, so yeah, I don't there's know. There's a lot of Culkins. <laughs> yeah. So... That moment was like, oh, shit. Because, like, the one nerd got killed before that. Um, And so I was like, okay, are both the film nerds going to get killed? But then, like, he's tied up. And I'm like, oh, shit, is he going to die? You know, and, and, like, Kirby will live. It's like, no, Kirby gets killed. And he's one of the goat, like, one of the killers. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Well, like, clearly he's not working alone because someone was on the phone with her. And right. like she was looking at him. So I'm like, well, who would the fuck is the other person? Cause like the, I thought if it was like both nerds, that would have made sense. But like when the one nerd got killed, I was like, wait, so who's he with? Like, who's he working for? And also why, you know? So I was very, very, very surprised by that. That was a good twist that I did not see coming. But at this point, you know, Earlier in the movie, Gail had been stabbed, and then uh, I think Trevor, or, or no, like they were thinking it was Trevor, like Jill's ex-boyfriend, and so Jill's mom got killed also, and now it's kind of down to like Sydney and Jill, and I don't think Dewey had gotten there yet, or if he did, he was probably knocked out or something, you know, that tends to happen with Dewey. <laughs> <laughs> and... Again, defund, what? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) and this is where they reveal that it's uh charlie and jill yeah so i want to because i yeah i knew that (laughs) but i want to see like 
what was your initial reaction to Jill and how did you feel about the reveal of it being her? I mean, I liked it because for the most of the movie, it's like they were grooming her to be like, oh, well, like she'll be the next generation of Scream movies. And like, these are all of her friends. Like this is, these guys are clearly like the Randy and here's her friend. But then like when the reveal of Charlie being one of the killers, I'm like, wait, who, what, you know? And then when she like, I think she took off the mask. It was like, oh <laughs> and i'm like but and i'm like oh is she like pissed because like she's had to live with the fact that like sydney is an infamous person for the last 15 years and like here's nothing about sydney prescott and then she proceeds to monologue about like you know like oh you know what it's like to live like this and it's just like okay i like this but then i'm like but why is the film geek helping and then he's like, yeah. And then like this time, you know, Sydney gets Randy. Uh, Randy gets the girl, mm-hmm, right? A callback to <laughs> and that. They, they yeah. like make out for a second, but then she stabs him. Yeah. And I'm like, wait. <laughs> and she's like, sorry, it's better for like a sole survivor. Yeah. And like she stabs Sydney, and it's like you know they're teasing the fact that could Sydney die? Oh no. But, like, the most brutal thing of this whole thing was, like, when she tries to gong girl herself. Yes. Where where she takes the dead ex-boyfriend's hand and scratches her face, pulls some of her hair out, and then throws herself into glass and, like, tables and stuff and knocks herself out and then positions herself next to Sydney like a victim. And then when I realized that there was still a good chunk of movie left, I was like, Oh, <laughs> are we going to figure this out? Because, like, this is this is the first time that it hasn't ended with, like, Sydney shooting the villain, you know? Um, but I'm like, clearly they have to figure it out at the hospital. You know, cut to Dewey talking to her. And she's like, oh, you know, Gail and I have the same wound. And I'm like... Yeah, yeah. I'm like, girl just gave herself up yeah and And i love that too because (laughs) then gail is the only one who gets a hunch about jill so dewey communicates that to her like oh she's so sweet she even asked about how your wound was she's got the same one and gail's like hold up how did she know that and it's like gail who's like "Mm -hmm." it's her i like as i like as soon as she asked that though like dewey's just like well you know and they run (laughs) after There's a pretty good action sequence mm-hmm. in the hospital room. You know, some uh, uh, a fight between Sydney, Jill, and then Gail comes in, and Dewey, and uh, the other cop. I'm forgetting her name. And yeah, I, I the whole ending where she kind of talks about how like media loves like a survivor, yeah, and like how she'll be a hero, and how. Um, this is how like she'll be remembered is for like saving this thing and she uh, like who needs friends when you have fame you know that's my favorite line I don't I don't need friends I need fans like damn because it's like yeah not only was her motivation that she was just sick of living in Sydney's shadow but she wanted some of Sydney's glory and fame like she wanted to like she literally says like now I'm gonna be the special one like she, for sure and that's more horrifying than just like I'm sick of Sydney it's like I can get rid of Sydney who I loathe and then i can get famous i can get book deals i can get tv show spots and that's 
horrifying. And I think that really works with, again... She's like, like I even had to kill my mom. Right, <laughs> she's but like, she's no less there. Like, okay, whoa. Like, she is doing all this to to get famous, to get rich, to, like, have fans. And I think yeah. that that's a very horrifying thing. And a modern horror, if you will, that they've brought in is that, yeah, she doesn't really care about the people close to her. She wants what Sydney's got, which is fame and being yeah. the survivor. And that's more horrifying to set yourself up as, like, this innocent victim. And it's so interesting, too, like you were saying, where she is setting herself up to be the innocent victim and doing all these things. Because we have seen her be this cute little innocent girl who, like you said, was primed to be the new Sydney. And now all of a sudden we get the reveal that she's that. But then we get our... Our old school stab from Scream 1, where it's like Billy and Stewie, where they're stabbing each other, only she takes it a step further and kills the guy. And then mm -hmm. we're watching her do these really intense things to her own body. So it's like mm -hmm. this quick twist, and then it's like, oh shit, you are nutso. Like, I get it. Like, oh my god. Yeah. And I think she... I tip it. It's interesting because I'm not like the biggest Emma Roberts fan in the world, but I think she's wonderful in this. And she is, she takes it uh, uh, to where like Skeet Ulrich and Matthew Lillard took it, to where Timothy Oliphant took it, where she just goes for it and she gets crazy. And so you're like, oh shit, this bitch is wild. She sucks. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then I do like as well that when we bring it back into the hospital, we have. Not only Sydney facing her, but we have Dewey and Gail there too. So it's like this really fun scene. It's it's like the old school type of fight, but with a new and younger and more uh, resilient character. So yeah. watching those that dynamic of like the old and the new literally fighting was really exciting. So I think that's the only thing that I will admit. So, like, I love the ending with the commentary, the twist. I think that was all really well handled because the third one really didn't have much commentary. No. First two definitely did. This one definitely did, which I think is what makes Scream great. Um, but I will admit, I think the one thing that kind of bugged me at the end was being at the fourth one, I feel like either Dewey or Gale should have died. No. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> <Because> not. <laughs> Because to me, now that they've... Okay. Now that they've survived this long, it's like, well, we know they'll always survive. And like you said, they really got to make characters that we care about, but they killed them all. You know, they killed Hayden Penetary. They made Jill uh, the the villain. They killed the film guys. You know, like the only person who didn't die was like the, the deputy, but like she was kind of creepy and also possibly wanting to have an affair with Dewey, you know? Um, so it just... I don't know if they do a fifth one, if they survive, they really got to make me care about the other people so that if these three survive again, you know, it's like, well, you know, uh, we're going to set up maybe a new crew or whatever it may be. But like, I really thought that like, maybe to me it's because they've repeated Gale and Dewey's story constantly with the whole, they have conflict and they come back together that either they better not do that again <laughs> <laughs> or one of them has to die. That's just, I don't know. I feel like, because like then those three are just always bulletproof, which to me then you can't keep pulling that they get stabbed, but they're fine, you know, because it's happened now to one of them every movie. <laughs> yeah, I just think like for me, like I was saying when I was so upset that Randy died, it's because if 
it feels like part of the soul of the franchise died a little bit with him and that like again this was someone that Sydney was friends with this was someone who's been there and knows what's going on and so I do like that uh Dewey and Gail have that as well where it's not just Sydney Sydney's not the only one surviving there's two other people that were involved so it's like again like seeing our friends come back and they're doing all right great you've been through trauma um I don't know I I love I just I love Gail so much like Dewey all right I could see getting rid of him but Gail is like she is so underrated in that like she is the one out here pressing these to be solved right away trying to get this like fixed trying to figure this out like she's on top of this in a way that most of the characters aren't because the other characters are just trying to survive well Gail's out here trying to thrive like she is my girl I uh, I so no I <laughs> I do not I do not want Gail to die at all um okay well good news I I was just looking up about Hayden Pettitary's character so apparently Wes Craven and commentary thinks that we technically didn't show her dead. Right. So she could be a survivor, which that makes me a little bit more comfortable because then they've at least created a character we liked that can come back for five or six or however many they end up doing, which at that point, Stab will be on like the 12th movie. Right. (laughs) But overall, I think four is great. Um, Not just like better than three. I think it's great. Um, So... Now that we've seen and talked about all four, do you have your final ranking for this franchise? I do. Um, It really hasn't changed much at all over the years, and it didn't (laughs) change this rewatching. From best to worst, favorite to least favorite, mine is Scream 1. We got 2, 4, 3. 3 is the bottom. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Three is clearly the bottom for me. I think then four, um, which isn't like, I don't want to say that it's bad because it's third, but it's just, you know, it's had to deal with being a fourth in a franchise. It's hard. Yeah. (laughs) And it's, it's Um, great, but it just doesn't have that magic of the first two. Yeah, I don't know if any of them ever will. Which it's a real toss up for one and two for me. I feel like if you ask me today, I'll say uh, one of them. If you ask me tomorrow, I'll say the other one. Mm-hmm. So right now, as we're recording this and, you know, Halloween of 2020, I'm going to say that uh, the first one is second and then number two is my number one. Mm-hmm. I think that because I really enjoyed the commentary of two, both about violence in movies, parents uh, being blamed for violence, uh, they had to deal with sequels by making fun of sequels. Like, sure, they made mistakes, but um, I also feel like the first one rewatching it, you can really tell that Billy is creepy and involved in some way and also kind of stew. That's saying that having known the twist, but two, they don't give it away as easily. Right, they you don't. Know? You can really pick apart little things, But for the most part, it's not obvious. It could have been Cotton. It could have been Derek. It could have been, you know, Timothy Oliphant or Laurie Metcalf. And I know that they struggled with that for the second one because apparently twists were leaked online. So I think they did change it once or twice. Um, I think there was going to be some involvement with maybe like the cameraman being one of the killers. You know, they, they tried to really, you know, spice it up with the killer reveal. Um, 
so that's kind of affected the rest of the franchises having to be super super secretive about who Ghostface is. Um, so I think right now for me it would be three, four, one, two, or excuse me, three, yeah, three, four, one, two. Um, but like I said, one and two, those are probably like the two I really want to own on DVD and I really want to rewatch more. But I could see arguments for both sides for those being the best. Yeah, same. I mean, I I love one just just because it's I love it. But I could, but that doesn't mean like quality wise, it's the best. It's just my personal preference. It can totally be one or two interchanged. I totally agree. Um, so I know we're kind of wrapping things up right now, but I did take some notes about five, just like really basic shit about like what we know so far. So I would like okay. to just touch on that. Sure. Um, well, so this is it. Okay. So this is not the end of the, the road here, buds. We got, <laughs> I don't know why I said that's so weird. <laughs> um, we got a possibly another favorite scary movie coming down the pipeline. And that is scream five. Um, so this was announced and they were actually right about to start shooting right before COVID hit and they had Mm -hmm. to pause everything, which actually is now supposedly delaying it till at least 2022. So that kind of sucks, but everything's delayed. It's, it's just how it is. They did just get back into shooting right now and they are doing it safely, I believe in Canada. So, so they're on track. Wonderful. Um, and so we'll just have to wait and see, like, everything else. Um, so, unfortunately, Wes Craven passed away in 2015. So mm-hmm. we have to get a new director. Um, and we do not have Kevin Williamson back as a writer. But there is some promise. So hold on. Don't worry. Um, so for the writer, we have Guy Busick, who wrote uh, Ready or Not, which was a wonderful horror film that just came out. Uh, mm-hmm. He's one of the writers on Scream 5. And then we have a second one, which is like, I don't know. Uh, we have James Vanderbilt, who, first of all, has never done a horror. So that's, huh. Um, and his other titles are really interesting. So, Brandon, did you know that the same person who wrote the script for David Fincher's Zodiac is also the same person who wrote the scripts for Amazing Spider-Man 1, Amazing Spider-Man 2, <laughs> and Independence Day Resurgence. Yeah, that's <laughs> one thing that's very interesting about some writers' careers uh, when you look at their filmography. I mean, one of the guys who helped create Game of Thrones, who it was be- it was good in the beginning, um, also wrote like X-Men Origins, you know, so Wolverine. So you definitely can notice that some writers, especially, they probably got like hired to make a movie and then also the director can take it from there and go with whatever. So it's hard to know what's the writer's blame and what's the director's blame because directors have final say. Right. And then sometimes studios have final say over the director. So sometimes it's like fourth removed for the writer. Um, So I... I'm not quite super worried because, I mean, Zodiac is great. Um, but the directors are also the people who made Ready or Not, right? Yeah, so we have a directing duo signed on, and it's Tyler Gillett and Matt Bellatini Olpin, I think. I don't know. Uh, and, yeah, they directed Ready or Not, and they also directed a lesser-known 
horrors that are wonderful uh, southbound and VHS. So they are super promising. Ready or Not, I think, is a great horror comedy and it has in the vein of Scream. So I think that that's incredibly promising to have these two directing. Um, and we got our major players. We got our Sydney. We got our Gail. We got our Dewey. They are returning. Um, and also, very weirdly, too, to join our original three, we have, her name is Deputy Judy Hicks, and she's the weird deputy in season, in, I was going to say season four, <laughs> in Scream 4. So she's mm. back. Uh, I guess we were all really concerned <laughs> about her character and needed to know more. Uh, okay, so we got her. Um, there is no talk about Kirby. I would love Kirby to come back. I hope it's like for where the story may not directly revolve around them, but they're still like big players. Uh, the last thing I would want is just to bring uh, our three originals back and just like have a scene and then pop out. Like I want them just as much, if not more, like still there. Um, so yeah. we'll see about that. Uh, and then we have our, our brand new cast and we got some interesting people in there. So first of all, uh, it was just announced that Jack Quaid from The Boys is going to be in it, um, which I like it screams. So I don't know how excited to get for that, because I remember when four announced that Adam Brody was going to have him in there. And I was like super pumped for him. And then the movie's released and he's just like this like small character cop who dies. So like, yeah, who knows? Um, and then we also have Dylan Min Minight. I don't know how you say his name. He's the kid from 13 Reasons Why, and that's a successful show with the youths. And then we have Jenny Ortega, who is in You, and she's also in another horror comedy, The Babysitter 2. Uh, so I think that's those are really cool. So we're bringing some like young, fresh blood for the, the Gen Zers of the world to get behind. Um, and I'm very, I'm very curious about what, what the story is going to be and how it's going to go. Yeah, I'm very curious too. I heard that Kevin William, uh, Williamson is going to be kind of like an executive producer. So, I mean, I'm just going to be cautiously optimistic, you know, with the new team because it seems like, you know, most of the one of the writers and the directing duo and the original cast coming back. So, I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic. I'm I'm hopeful that it'll be good, um, and they can continue on. And I don't know how much more of the franchise that they can string out of this, especially with just Sydney's character. But you know, it'll be interesting. I'm optimistic. I am too. I think we've learned a lesson from four, and I think the biggest thing is that we've kind of learned to, it's best to keep it in Woodsboro because we just, it's, it's Woodsboro. We love it there. And it it's, hasn't been like explicitly said, like it's definitely going to take place in Woodsboro, but some of the like onset photos that have been up definitely look like Woodsboro. So that's what I, I, I want it back in Woodsboro. That's what I care about the most. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I'm really glad that we decided to take this journey right after the Mission Impossible franchise for Halloween, the journey for the Scream franchise, since I'd only seen most of these movies once and one of them not even at all. So I was pleasantly surprised. I want to rewatch most of them again fairly soon, maybe not right away. But um, yeah, any uh, any closing thoughts as we're, you know, recapping the four and then also just looking forward to five? Um. I just love these movies. They're so rad. They're so fun. 
Um, and I love Gail. I just love her so much. I truly do. That's all I got to say, really. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, what's your ranking of the Scream movies? Let us know. And what's another franchise you want us to take a journey on with you? Uh, please reach out to us on social media and let us know.